Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today we're talking about Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. My name is Miles Morales. I'm Brooklyn's one and only Spider-Man. And things are going great. Oh yeah, you were supposed to be here at five. All right, whatever. Whatever? Wow. Whatever? So are you like a cow or a Dalmatian? I am the spot. <laughs> it's not funny. Don't, don't do that. This is an animated multiverse superhero action comedy. Directed by Joaquin Dos Santos, Kemp Powers, and Justin K. Thompson. The cast includes Malcolm from Dope, Emily from Pitch Perfect 3, Alfred Paperboy Miles, Lieutenant Maria Legretta, Nick Miller, Poe Dameron, Gideon Graves, Awkward Black Girl, O.J. Haywood, Dopinder, Remy Danton, Rue from The Hunger Games, Jake Peralta, Huey Campbell, Debbie Downer from SNL, literally Ziggy Marley, one of the guys from The Lonely Island, Terrence Fletcher, Childish Gambino, Agatha Harkness, the Glee Club leader from Community, Metro Boomin, Eduardo Saverin, and Tugboat McGuire. I watched this movie in a regal cinema. Joey, how did you watch it? I also watched it in a regal cinema. I'm actually at that point now where I'm going to the theater enough where I've got my go-to theater. Yeah. And I'm, I'm getting comfortable there again. I'm getting, you know, the popcorn is, is flowing. And, what do you, uh, okay, uh, hot take alert. Which, what do you prefer? The uh, cringe, um, regal uh, movie line trailer or the based um, uh, Nicole Kidman uh, AMC uh, uh, monologue? <laughs> That is such a like important question when it comes to the movies. I actually, I definitely hate the Regal Cinema. I hate it too. It has such bad lines. Pick better yeah. lines. It, it also it just makes it seem like people who go to movies are losers. It's like <laughs> welcome back, losers. <laughs> you're, you're losers and Danny Trejo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Except for Danny Trejo, I guess. But I don't know. He's not necessarily at the, my, one of my favorites either. So, anyways, it is fun. I am having fun going back to the theater especially you know going at odd hours where there's only other movie podcasters there usually <laughs> keeps the riffraff uh, you know away and, and i can actually enjoy the film so anyways enough about that let's uh move on to our synopsis before we talk about this movie let's go over the events uh and uh, you've kindly written us a synopsis joey so why don't you get us started after being bitten by a radioactive spider gwen stacy has become spider woman But after her best friend, Peter Parker, dies fighting Spider-Woman, Gwen is never the same. Gwen's father, a policeman, swears a vendetta against Spider-Woman and sets out to stop her. A villain from another universe appears in the Guggenheim Museum, and Spider-Woman shows up to stop him. She is soon joined by Miguel O'Hara and Jessica Drew, who are Spider-People from other universes. All three help contain the papercraft villain and send him back home. Spider-Woman is stopped by her father, who tries to arrest her. She takes off her mask and confesses her secret to him. He continues to try to arrest her, so she leaves her universe with the other spiders. After being bitten by a radioactive spider, Miles Morales has become Spider-Man. But after his uncle and mentor, Aaron, dies fighting Spider-Man, Miles is never the same. Spider-Man has become a celebrity in Brooklyn taking selfies, doing spawn con, and making apology videos. He is constantly fighting bad guys of all kinds, but the latest is especially hard to remove. Spot is a wise-cracking teleporter who believes Spider-Man is responsible for the destruction of his life, but Miles has no idea who he is, which only makes Spot more annoying. Spider-Man fights the villain alongside Lieutenant Morales, who happens to be his father. Spot eventually kicks his own ass into a space between universes, which allows him to travel the multiverse without restraint. Now that Gwen is part of a secret group of dimension-hopping spiders, she is tasked with locating Spot and stopping him. She travels to Miles' universe and meets up with him. They have a nice time, but she is distracted from her task, allowing Spot to escape to another universe. Miles follows Gwen without her knowledge to Mumbatan. India, where they meet the perfect Praviter Prabhakar, who is, you guessed it, also Spider-Man. 
They are also joined by Hobie, aka Spider Punk, a British Spider Man with a punk rock attitude. Together, they follow Spot into a giant particle collider. Spot successfully uses the collider to make himself incredibly powerful. He destroys the facility, which threatens to destroy a large part of the city. Our spider people race to save as many civilians as possible. Pravitra's girlfriend is on a bus that is falling into a void, while her father, a policeman, is in danger from falling debris. Despite Gwen's objections, Miles swoops in to save the policeman. The result is some kind of massive black mass in the center of the city. Miguel, O'Hara, and more spider people show up to contain the mess, but Miguel insists that Miles be brought back to Earth 928, the Spider Society's base world. Instead of the small strike team that Gwen described to Miles, hundreds of spiders roam the massive hallways of the spider base. Miguel addresses Miles directly and explains to him the real deal. Spider-Man cannot save everyone, and the deaths of those close to him shape him into the person he becomes. These incidents are called canon events, and attempting to remedy them or stop them threatens the fabric of the anthro-arachnid multiverse. One such event is the tragic death of a police captain that is close to Spider-Man. Recognizing that his father is destined to die, Miles rebels and vows to break canon no matter the cost. Miguel is furious. His mission is to maintain order and save worlds. Miles' selfishness could mean the destruction of an entire universe. He orders all the spiders to stop Miles. Through the chase, Miles learns that he was never meant to be Spider-Man. The spider that bit him came from another universe. He also learns that all his friends have been keeping him from the spider society because Miguel sees him as an anomaly and therefore a liability. He runs and fights, escaping back to his universe. Only it's not his universe. He has traveled back to his spider's universe, one where his father is already dead, but his uncle lives, and a dark reflection of himself roams the streets as the Prowler. Gwen travels back to her universe where she finally confronts her father. He forgives her and tells her he is quitting the police force. This means Gwen is avoiding the so-called canon event in her own life, where a captain is supposed to die. She uses a homemade multiverse device made by Spider-Punk and goes to Miles' home universe. She doesn't find him, but she tells his parents that she is looking out for him. She assembles a crack team of rogue spiders to defeat Spot and Miguel. But we have to wait until the next one to see all of that, because this is just part one. They hit us with a to-be-continued, the Spider-Bastards. That's right. That's, uh, those are the events of Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. We'll begin our analysis with our pros and cons. Joey, what did you like about this film? Uh, to call this movie beautifully animated is a serious understatement. This is one of the most ambitious exercises in animation in a decade. It's like seeing the view from the top of a mountain. It is stunning to look at. A deep roster of voice acting talent that melds with the medium perfectly, even though it treads on the same uh, multiverse path we've seen countless times at this point, it is still unique and utilizes the structure of a multiverse while still trying while still tying it back to Spider-Man specifically. Um, the moving the focus to Gwen Stacy and Spider Woman to- felt totally fresh to me, even though Miles Morales is also a really fun character, um, a great villain that fits into the vein of classic supervillains and the major conceit of the story, Hobie. Uh, that's all i have to say um all sorts of new spider guys and gals and nbs that turn this movie into a zany instant classic this movie is a masterpiece that is fantastic that is high praise um you know and i i'm right there with you this movie features a deep cast beautiful animation incredible use of color a very vibey soundtrack adherence to Themes that keep the story focused despite a truly chaotic multiverse. It's very funny. I found myself laughing out loud multiple times, uh, which made this movie just a joy to watch. Just you know, even when parts of it get really dark and, and, and emotional, uh, you also had a lot of uh, you know funny parts too to kind of lighten the mood. Uh, I I enjoyed so many of the new characters. I agree with you that Spot is a really interesting villain, and I love the way that they build him up from kind of zero to, 
you know, big bad. And this movie is full of fun Easter eggs and memes that uh, don't distract from what you're watching. It, it resists the urge to just turn into a, uh, you know, a reference fest. And instead, I think, really balances the, the whole multiverse thing, uh, like you said. So uh, those are our pros. Let's move on to our cons. What did you not like about Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse? I'm not a fan of the cliffhanger ending. You know, um, I, I prefer my movies to have endings. Um, uh, honestly, this movie built up a lot of goodwill for me. I was on board for it. it it's long, but it didn't feel very long. So I was, I was, uh, but then, you know, I, there's always this nagging feeling, right? When you get to the, the end of a movie that's only the first part of a movie, and you're not sure if that was the case in the first place, you're like, this seems like it's going on for too long. It seems like there's something kind of nagging in the background. So, um, yeah, I, I didn't really see it coming as soon uh, as much as I did for something like Dune, um, but I didn't actually know that this was a first part. There was, if you looked into the like uh, the stuff that was released for this movie, that was to- that was spoiled back in December. They they told us that uh, a long a while ago that this was going to be only going to be part one, uh, but that's not something I knew, and I don't really like that to be honest with you. But whatever, this movie did had a lot of goodwill built up. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really fun ride, and so I'm happy that there's going to be more and that it's going to continue the story. Uh, but uh, a little bittersweet on my side, um, and also I felt like. Uh, I don't know. This whole thing with with Miles being the only one to resist the canon event didn't really feel like uh, Spider Man so much. Like Spider Man's always trying to do both things. Um, that's one of his classic, um, you know, character traits. One of the classic conceits in the Spider Man lore is that he's always trying to save as many people as possible, everyone that he can. Uh, so all that the, the fact that all these other Spider people had already resigned themselves to being, uh, you know, limited by the canon that was. Uh, dictated to them uh didn't feel exactly right uh but regardless i feel like that's kind of a nitpick um yeah what about you yeah i i I agree with that second point where it's almost like uh like they seem less like spider-man they look like spider-man but are they really spider-man beyond anything besides their power because it seems so integral that he has that kind of uh you know having your cake and eating it to motivation um but to stick to your first point as well i agree that the cliffhanger ending was very unsatisfying to me i mean the momentum this movie had going by the end was incredible i was fully on board with everything i was having such a good time that i didn't even realize i had been sat there for over two hours and i easily could have watched more uh, you know i think trilogies do need to have a solid second entry uh, to get you through to the third, but I'm disappointed that the ending of this one left me feeling so unfulfilled. Uh, like on the one hand, I'm more excited for the third movie than I was even for this movie, uh, despite how much I love the first film. But at the same time, I wish that this film had gotten us to a better stopping place. Uh, so that's it, it. Really, I mean, looking at other superhero movies, uh, Infinity War, I feel like had such a great ending despite being a cliffhanger uh yeah yeah you know, and, well, and it this movie not, didn't deliver like that not exactly though right it had an ending right and then it, we had to pick up the pieces and start over with the with uh end game and then i mean think about um one of the greatest sequels of all time empire strikes back right that movie has an ending right maybe not like obviously there's gonna be more story to be told but like it, 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 it there's a conclusion right this one is like we're jumping into the next scene you know like uh it, it, i don't know i feel like they could have taken what they what they ended on and reshaped it into being not a cliffhanger right just be an ending that we move to the next stage but this movie is moving from location to location so quickly and everything's happening so fast and everything is so connected that it, i don't know if it's possible to really cut that thread anywhere and for it to make sense but um yeah, I honestly feel like that should be a challenge for people to to not rely on this kind of thing. It feels like a crutch. It feels like you don't rely, like you're not, uh, you don't have any faith in your audience that they're going to come back, right? It feels like you're, um, uh, you you want people to pause in the middle of the movie instead of at the end of the movie, um, which I feel like is uh, not strong storytelling. Agreed. Yeah, it's the, I, but I feel like that's the one fundamental flaw with this otherwise incredible film, which is a uh, technical problem more than it is anything else. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I, it's like one of those things where I don't feel like I'm going to 
I feel strongly about it right now, but once I see the third one and if it delivers the way the first second one, I don't feel like I'll feel bad at all. I'll be like, okay, sure. well, I just make sure that I see the third one every time I watch the second one. You know, I just leave the space in my schedule. Um, <laughs> So another issue, though, um, was product placement for Sony and Nike. I think it's okay to have product placement uh, if it's done. I think really good product placement is invisible, and you make me want to buy Jordans just because I want to look like Spider-Man. I feel like the first one did this slightly better, but the gratuitous, are you wearing my Jordans? Like, <laughs> like and they're like center stage, and like, uh, you know, and then he's like, oh, let me put on my my sony headphones to listen to music it just to me was frustrating uh to 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 be advertised to in a in this uh beautiful artwork so um not my favorite thing so uh but that's those are pretty much my only two things i can hold against this film because otherwise it's absolutely incredible which is why we need to start talking about it in our overall section and i'll just kick us off by saying into the spider-verse shook up the animation world and and that's a massive understatement uh, and as a result this sequel had m- gigantic red and white <laughs> nike brand shoes to fill there you go there's some very visible product placement for you oh, thank you <laughs> and in the opinion of this movie review podcaster the sequel lived up to the hype and then some yeah, I mean, just wow. That's uh, really all I have to say. Um, the bar, like you just said, it was set super high with Into the Spider-Verse. Very interesting, dynamic animation, something that people hadn't really seen before. But now I, I'm thinking about uh, Puss in Boots' Last Wish and its more uh, fluid animation style clearly is pulling from Into the Spider-Verse with its uh, like dynamic animation. Um, that movie was a revolution in the superhero and animation genres, and it was finally tapping into the potential of Spider-Man. I mean, look at Marvel's No Way Home. <laughs> like Spider-Man might be the most well-tread superhero of all time. Only Batman rivals him in origin stories, retellings, recastings, reimaginings, reboots, sequels, prequels. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, I think... So I've seen this I, and I've heard this criticism already and I something I want to address directly, which is I think is important to wrestle with the fact that this is still a superhero movie in the superhero tradition, part of the superhero bubble that seems to never pop. Superhero movies after Marvel's Endgame have teetered and are clearly starting to fall. Um, there have been bright spots, but the soulless Disney Plus series and the directionless sequels feel listless to me. And Spider-Man is just so tired and played out. Why do we need another one of these movies? Um, With Spider-Man solidly in the public consciousness, it creates the opportunity to do something really ambitious and to build into something totally new. That thing was Into the Spider-Verse. So how do you follow up on that? You go bigger, deeper, and you do it all faster and faster. This movie, its predecessor, and its sequel are, in my um, mind, exceptions. Uh, Chris Miller and Phil Lord, who wrote this movie, are exceptional directors, writers, and producers. This idea would not work under any other leadership. No one else can pull this off, and no one else would even dare, I think. So I think that, yes, this movie is part of the like Marvel kind of slew, right? Uh, at, at this point, becoming toxic sludge in some ways. Uh, it's But I think that you can't tell a story like this without Spider-Man being at the center of it. And I think that they're taking Spider-Man to new places and new directions. They're not just relying on the Peter Parker story. They're talking about Miles Morales, they're bringing in Gwen Stacy, they're bringing in all these other Spider-Men too that you've never even heard of. Um, And I think it's really expanding people's minds about what can be possible with superheroes, but also just in the Spider-Man canon. And I think that the story itself like which will I want to talk about more in in much more detail is a relevant uh like feeling it reflects a real feeling that people have right now this idea of uh futilitarianism right where it feels like there's nothing you can do the world is just going to get worse and you just have to suck it up and i i think that that's something that many people uh feel every day you know if you are if you're on social media or you go you watch the news or anything like that you're going to feel that that feeling of oppression of uh obfuscation like that that there's nothing you can do futility uh and i think this movie is speaking directly to that i don't know if it's giving a great anecdote to it or antidote to it i don't know if it's as um has as much of a relief factor as something like everywhere everywhere everything everywhere all at once but it's certainly talking to it and i think that you can't discount that movie 
uh, you can't say this movie is not trying to do something or try to be a part of the moment um, uh, and still be uh, honest about it. You know, even if this is a corporate product, this is exactly what I'm expecting and what I want from corporate products. I want them to push the envelope. I want them to bring in new stuff. I want them to show me something amazing. I want them to use all the resources they have at their availability. And I want them to tell a story that's relevant to today and reflects the actual moment of today, you know? Yeah, it's um, Spider-Verse finds a way to separate itself from what we're expecting when we hear superhero movie. I feel like as time progresses, we get further away from Avengers Endgame, or if you really want to be, uh, you know, generous, uh, Spider-Man uh, No Way Home. Yeah. You know, it, you, every, this, it feels like there's a black hole that's becoming more and more dense and it's sucking every new superhero movie into it. And if you get sucked in that black hole, then going to see that movie feels like homework. And I used to think that there were certain, it's like, it used to be that every Marvel movie was worth seeing. And then it's like now only a few IPs are like must-sees. And now almost nothing to me is worth seeing anymore. It all feels like I'm being told by people who are still into Marvel that you got to go see it. This one is actually pretty good. And, you know, it it just shouldn't feel like homework, even though we just released another Marvel movie. By the time you've seen that movie but and you're walking out of the theater, another Marvel movie will have come out. And now you need to go see that one, too. Uh, And, you know, they all kind of feel the same. Spider-Verse sets itself apart, first off, by being animated, but also by being animated incredibly well. But it's not just spectacle. It also has a message. And, and that, you know, as we'll get into that, we'll decide how well they deliver it. But it doesn't just rest on this idea that Spider-Verse is an, is an exercise in incredible animation. It delivers on the storytelling and the message as well, which is totally necessary. You're not just showing us something cool. You're also telling us a great story. Yes. Let's talk about the animation. So Across the Spider-Verse created the opportunity for collaboration in a whole new way. Um, And I'm not just talking about the many spider people in this story. Each universe has its own unique style. Each was helmed by a different visionary animator. The fluidity of animation has never been so apparent. Gwen's heavy character moments between her and her dad are highlighted by a melting and dynamic watercolor backdrop that emphasizes the emotional distance between these characters and uses the space on the screen to enhance already beautiful moments with rich color and imagery. In animation, anything is possible, but Across the Spider-Verse actually makes it feel like that is literally true. It feels like anything could happen. The limitations of spatial consistency, of borders between worlds, even the sacred canon itself are all false structures crumbling in the wake of new possibilities and the brave pursuit of hope. I I do love that canon events are kind of placed in the crosshairs in this film, almost as a direct uh, front against you know nerds <laughs> who are like oh it can't happen that way that's not that's how it right. happened that's not how i remember it <laughs> <laughs> but no i agree with you the animation this film is is absolutely awe-inspiring uh, the way this movie is able to blend animation styles together is simply unbelievable different characters from different universes come together with animation that's so seamless that even having live action characters in the world like donald glover and toby mcguire doesn't break the immersion there's always something interesting to look at in fact there's usually more than one interesting thing to look at this film is constantly throwing so much at you visually that you'd need to be an actual spider with eight eyes to see it all in one viewing but it doesn't feel overwhelming it just feels amazing for a movie with a ton of action i'm impressed by how much this film lingers on the emotional moments and allows us to connect to the characters like you said the gwen's tense confrontations with her father were especially affecting with the way that the background would melt away into these blended colors that amplified the way the characters in the foreground were feeling it's another example that was when uh gwen and uh miles were together just kind of looking at the city there's not a lot going on there yeah. but they they're still able to evoke awe from the audience uh by playing with the colors and um you know giving us a moment uh to just kind of sit with uh this world that they've created you know animation is a medium where seemingly anything is possible and this film takes that idea and pushes it beyond imagination I'm just so impressed. I mean, there, there's so much, there's so much detail, there's so much um, 
the just fine tuning that's that's put there and just the idea of having all these different characters animated differently um it really is something mind-blowing I, if you look at the way that hobie's animated i i read somewhere that it took him like two or three years to get that like get that effect which is basically like a uh, I want to say like a ransom note, but it's more like a <laughs> like a, a collage, right? Mm-hmm. Where he, he's yes. a bunch of different like magazine pieces and stuff. And I, I saw somewhere where uh, there's a points where he's like in like basically grayscale. He's washed out, which is supposed to be a reference to this kind of constant copying of uh, different pieces and how the, the the color gets washed out when you put it through a Xerox over and over and over again. Um, so it's it's awesome, like having him just kind of be there be this like chaotic force and his animation style reflects that chaotic force um and it's constantly moving and, and flashing but it doesn't feel like it's like completely out of step you know uh, same thing with like when miles is glitching right when he's in the wrong universe and he like becomes like a bunch of polygons for a second it, it makes perfect sense about what's going on based on the way the character is acting and the way that the voice actor like screams or, or whatever right and it fits into this wider story so perfectly. Uh, I, I'm just, it's just such an impressive feat, on, honestly. And I, I think it just can't be overstated that like having all these different people together, building this thing t- together um, is something that would only work in a multiverse story, right? And and Spider-Man is like at, right at the right at the, the center of of that possibility. Uh, it's just a, a very, very um, fun uh, feeling to feel like you can go anywhere and that anything could happen, and that uh, you never really quite know what's gonna what's gonna spark the next thing, right? What's gonna what's gonna stick and what's gonna uh, be left behind? Um, yeah, I, I I'm just overwhelmed with how uh, how seamless everything was, how clean everything was, and how everything was highlighted with such beauty and and grace. Um, yeah, I I think it's just a really really incredible uh, like. Uh, piece of uh, of art and I, it's hard for me to imagine someone being able to do this without the resources of like that that chris lord and or chris miller and phil lord have uh in addition to sony and the marvel animation team right I, this took them four years to make right and um it's it's hard to know whether somebody could do this on their own it's like only on a huge collaboration like a scale this big is something like this possible while still being focused on a specific story while, while still paying homage to so many wonderful characters that people are, are very happy to see on screen uh it really is like balancing so much and doing such a good job of it especially because you know spider-man is a comic as much yes. as i love yes. the live action movies this is doing such service to the original text it's like you yes. want like we're gonna use this character as they appeared yes it's not just the story in the original text, but how different animators in different comics would animate them differently right they, you have complete control over how this story looks and now you're seeing that actually animated on screen you know that's amazing it's it's so beautiful um it, it is it really does feel like a celebration of animation and of like like a, a a true homage to comics that's not just like taking ripping the you know the soul from them and creating something else you know what i mean which yes. it, which is like not how i've ever felt about any marvel property but seeing how like how much care goes into a movie like this makes me think that like how much further can we go and also like what have we been doing for the past like 10 years you know like why is it taking so long to make something this good um yeah <laughs> Okay, so the story reminded me of another animated Marvel property, the What If series. Uh, and if you want to hear our thoughts on that, you can find it on the Wait For It podcast. Uh, we did, we were guests on that podcast. Um, I don't even remember when that was. <laughs> it was a long time ago. It's like maybe a year and a half ago. Somewhere in like the COVID timeline where yeah. time lost all meaning. So, yeah, so yeah, I, somewhere. I, it exists though, for anywhere. sure. You can find it. Um, so the What If series with an anthology that had a connective tissue in the form of a diegetic narrator called The Watcher. The Watcher becomes directly involved in the story and eventually must break his own vow of non-interference to save the multiverse and his own skin. Um, he makes the argument that by not getting involved, he's letting nature take its course, which, of, which is, of course, in my opinion, idiotic. Um, in Across the Spider-Verse, we see a very similar argument from Miguel. He believes that interfering with canon events will cause the untangling of the universe, and therefore we have to stand by and let bad things happen, even to those we love, for the greater good. 
Miles rejects this idea outright, choosing to defy Miguel's futilitarianism in favor of acting to save whatever he can. Um, I, I can't remember exactly what Miguel says, but I, I kind of got the feeling that these canon events actually physically like, uh, like created the, the, the uh, threads between universes. So by Uncle Ben dying... Uh, in one universe and dying in another universe, they were able to traverse the multiverse this way. I don't know if that's exactly right or not, but it's it's almost like Miguel's power is linked to these canned events happening, right? So he sort of has this vested interest in keeping things the way they are, not just because he's at the si- the center of this and because he saw how poorly it went in his own uh, messing about with universes, um, but because it gives him the ability to like control everything if he knows what's going to happen. Now, can we can we recap exactly what happened with him? So he like lost his uh, loved one there, his uh, like his daughter and his wife, right? In yes. his own world, and then he so he went and found another like uh, timeline where they still lived, but he was dead, and he just right. went and replaced himself. And then when he was staying in there, similar to how people from other universes glitch in other universes. The whole universe glitched kind of out of existence and fell apart. Um, so he like effectively destroyed that universe by taking that action. And so he sees that as evidence that if anybody does anything that disrupts the the canon events, then that will destroy their universe. Yes, I, I believe this or or will have a a, a large uh, negative effect, right? Um, I think that he his example was supposed to be ex- very extreme, right? Where he was like basically rewriting the whole story by inserting himself where he wasn't and then and therefore the result was equally extreme. Perhaps if you disrupt a more minor canon event or disrupt it in a more minor way, uh the result won't be the entire universe's destruction but something um at that same scale i don't know that's kind of the 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 feeling that i got from from listening to his story um what i would i what my prediction is is that um something else destroyed miguel's universe and maybe he played a role in introducing that into the universe but that he could have done something to prevent it in addition to uh, what he was doing now, because what we see at the um, in in Mubatan, right in uh, where um, uh, the Indian Spider-Man is uh, living after um, Miles saves his girlfriend's dad, the police captain, we see a big black mass in the center of the city, which is very rem- reminiscent of Spot's teleportation abilities, which makes it. Which Miguel says this is because you disrupted a canon event, but it seems like. It was actually Spot's fault that it looks like that. So, so I'm I'm kind of working with that theory that, um, you know, of course, if uh, Miles hadn't been there, or, or you know, if Miles didn't exist, or if Miles hadn't done whatever he did, Spot wouldn't have traveled to this place, right? So he does play some role, but there was also the, still the fact that Spot destroyed a bunch of stuff and ended up just making this big hole that, uh, you know, uh, was the uh kind of end result of the canon event does that make sense yeah yeah i think yeah and i guess the other thing too is miguel is from uh his like character is known as spider-man 2099 right because he's from the future so is it possible that the reason his world got destroyed was by spot in the past (laughs) which is where (laughs) everyone else is (laughs) i don't know how that would work if, I, uh, I I don't know I I don't know if like how like how timelines work exactly. <laughs> um, you're right. He is Spider-Man 2099. Um, yeah. So which uh, which is canonically in the future. Um, so yeah. I, <laughs> listen, you know we we got a multiverse situation here. Okay, so that means that um, uh, according to you know most time travel rules, if you're in a multiverse, then uh, you can't affect the past. Actually. Mm-hmm. You can you can only change the past in a different universe. You cannot right. change the past in your universe, um, because then you don't because you don't end up in your universe anymore unless your universe was directly affected by you in the past, <laughs> which is yeah, possible. Yeah. But 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 to kind of reel us back in a little bit, I do I think you're you might be onto something here with potentially Miguel's interpretation of events, or maybe Miguel's just not trustworthy in his own explanation of what happened that set him on this path. 
Right. So this is a classic Spider-Man dilemma. We see this in every Spider-Man movie. Uh, it's reflected by the stated, you can't have your cake and eat it too, to which Miles retorts, you can, ha- you can if you have two cakes. Uh, I love this because this is something we've talked about many times. This is a this is an early thing we wrestled with on this podcast was you can't have your cake and eat it too. Um, Spider Man can't save everyone, but he has often thrown into situ- he's often thrown into situations where he has to make really tough choices. But the thing about Spider Man, the reason he's such a beloved character to me to me anyway, is that he tries anyway, despite all he's learned, despite what canon dictates. He cannot accept that he can't save everyone. He always tries and often fails, but he tries anyway. By diagnosing Spider-Man's problems as destiny, Miguel hopes to distance himself and the other spiders from pain, but instead, he only allows pain to manifest. As Wayne Gretzky and Michael Scott said, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. (laughs) By choosing to sit them out, Miguel allows destiny to rule his life. Instead, he should be thinking like Miles and attempting to defy it. I think this idea of futility in our society is a common, pervasive, and extremely dangerous mentality. Uh, if, and this movie highlights and addresses it. It rejects the idea that events are set and that you can't make a difference. It can seem like the outcome is already pre-written, but the truth is you can't know for sure. And that means it's worth trying to agitate for something better, even if you might fail. Yeah, it's especially ironic to have a uh, uh, character with spider sense thinking that you can't change the future. I feel like Spider-Sense flies in the face of that. You, you know something's about to happen, and then you, you have the chance to react early. Um, but, I get, but again, going back to what we said earlier, I, I think it's great that this movie actually does have a message, um, and it's, it's trying to lead you in the direction of like uh, doing something good, or at least fighting for something good, even in the face of uh, you know, true Or, or just uh, believing that good things are possible, right? Which is like that everyone in there, right? Everyone in the spider base, everyone in the spider society is sort of like regulated to like, this is what's going to happen. I can't stop it. And if I do, then bad things will happen. And I just, I just really like this idea that like, it doesn't matter, right? Like you don't know for sure. And whatever new thing is going to come down the pipe, like we'll deal with that then. Um, but right now there's something good that I can do now. And th- I mean, this is the danger of, utilitarianism as a philosophy, right? Is that you can use it to justify almost any behavior. And I think, I don't remember how much I've talked about this in the past. Uh, I remember we talked about it briefly, but basically by saying, uh, you know, if I do something bad, that will, uh, that's supposed to like help people, uh, it's worth it, right? It, it's, it's, it's not just like the, that the ends justify the means. It's more like, um, uh, it's it's more like I can do something evil, and uh, it will have this good outcome that will um that's actually so it's actually immoral for me not to do this evil thing, right? It's it's more like a I need to do something uh, bad in order to uh, save all these other people, but I don't really know where that line gets drawn. You know, I, it's so like uh, like how do you justify? some of this behavior as like eventually it's going to work out right when you're doing something bad right now you know you don't know what the future is going to hold you're all you can do is predict what's what's going to happen and uh if you're going to hurt people in your if you're you know if your philosophy leads you to being like i need to hurt people in order to uh have the outcome i want or that it's going to end up hurting less people in the future uh, you need to find another way to do what you want to do you know you need to find another way to uh, make that difference because uh, it's not worth it, uh, and it's only going to end up hurting your cause in the long run if if you're like I need to do more damage now. You know, uh, I don't know. It, there's it's something that I think a lot of people struggle with. I think that uh, I think politically, a lot of people feel like the ends justify the means. That uh, you know, if we uh, limit the freedoms of people now, or we give people this. Um, you know, this restriction, then we're saving people in the future. Um, but what you're doing is ignoring the plight of people now and the people that are around you telling you that this is a problem. Um, and I, I just don't really see how you can justify that. And uh, falling back on this utilitarian argument is a red flag for me. It, 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 it makes me feel like uh, you don't actually care and that you just really want to do whatever you want. So in the film... Miguel imprisons Miles when they realize that a canon event is coming up and that his dad is about to die. Right. So 
and the argument that Miguel makes is that if they don't allow his dad to die, or they if they prevent his dad from dying, then uh, Miles's universe could collapse, right? Um, yes. And the argument against that, like, let's say he's right. Let's just say that if that doesn't happen, then Miles's universe will collapse. Everyone inside of it will die, including Miles's father. In that case, would you say that Miguel is correct? Is the argument against Miguel that he doesn't know that that's going to happen? Yes. My argument is that he doesn't know that's going to happen. Despite all of this evidence that he's collected here, right? It's not clear to me that this is a a, a done deal, right? And it's also not clear to me that uh, they can't stop it. Um, with the, the combined might of all of these spiders, all the technology and resources that they have, whatever's coming down the, the pipe why can't they stand in in the path of it right why can't they stop it and or or, or at the very least diagnose why this happens you know what i mean is, is it simply because this is a something that was meant to happen how can, how can you possibly regulate that you don't know this is only things that you know about right and yet you creating this spider multiverse here has to defy some sort of multiverse rule somewhere right so how do you know that this is actually the outcome that is going to happen right and and why does the event have to be painful and tragic is like is there why are there not some sort of uh benign events or uh, like things that are just you know kind of normal it's like spider-man has to eat that <laughs> slice of pizza you know and no no he didn't eat it and then the whole thing you know falls apart it has you know it does definitely seem very tenuous especially after we see gwen uh kind of uh change the narrative yeah she her her dad is not a captain anymore so it's like well then well, what's gonna happen what about for her the fact canon? that all these spider people are different right i mean many of them are are peter parker sure but um and, and miles is like canonically not a uh you know not supposed to be a spider person because he is uh, uh he got bit by a spider from another universe right but there's also a spider cat and a spider horse and you know <laughs> spider t-rex spiders all sorts of spider things so we're like how do we justify those things existence you know like what happened in the past there that caused these guys to happen that's different than this and how do you know that was right and this was wrong right it, it's just impossible to make that connection the other thing that i think is kind of pervasive about this multiverse thing and it's something that i think is really interesting this is what the this is the at least the third multiverse movie. No, fourth multiverse movie we've done just for this podcast. Uh, there's like, there's so many of them <laughs> at this point. There's this idea that like, right, there's all these other timelines. There's all the other yeah. universes in which you are the same, but slightly different or, or something else happened and, you know, the, the results are different. And I, although I think it's fun to play in a universe like this, I think that it's dangerous to think of the world as actually functioning this way, regardless of whether or not this is a, physical like whether or not physics dictates that this is the uh theory with the least assumptions i think that uh constantly referring to other universes and saying like oh there's another universe in which blank happens simply dilutes your, your responsibility in your universe right it makes you say oh i can do uh, uh oh uh, you have some sort of disease that if i punch you in the face right now it'll cure you, right? So that justifies me punch you in the face in every universe at the same time because it might have the chance of of, uh, of curing you of this disease, right? Which is ridiculous. It, 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 it dilutes your responsibility. It makes you, feel, it makes, uh, you completely uh, immune from any sort of um, cause and effect, right? And, and, and you're like, oh, well, all my actions are justified because in some universe it worked out. Um, and that's just not true because in this universe, the only one we know for sure exists, it doesn't work out. Uh, so you, you have to like, um, I don't know, I, I, I find this a, a um, dangerous philosophy because it, it, it obfuscates uh, personal responsibility. It, it makes people into non-actors, right? And uh, I don't know if free will exists or not, but it doesn't matter. We have to act as if it does. Uh, and if we want to live in a world where consequences have, you know, where actions have consequences and, and uh, you know, you having an effect actually makes a difference. Not to mention, you know, this is the issue, I think, the more and more we get into multiverses, it's like, well, if there's an infinite amount of 
similar universes that are all basically the same do any of them really matter right it's like we just yes. spent all this time watching the avengers defeat thanos it's like yeah but in all these other universes thanos didn't get defeated he actually won it's like oh <laughs> okay <laughs> so i um you know you have this kind of interconnected uh what did we call it? the arachnid web of yeah i can't remember exactly what miguel calls it yeah, um, which was funny was, that he gets all again poking fun at themselves, being like multiverses are kind of uh, yeah, stupid trite. or, or <laughs> yeah, like. <laughs> but uh, at the same time, so I don't feel like this movie really suffers from it as much. But I'm just talking about in general. The more and more we do these multiverse things, it's like dang, kind of wish just one thing mattered instead of having infinite you know versions. <laughs> yeah, that would be nice, right? <laughs> <laughs> Um, but we don't have just one version. We have multiple versions, and there's a bunch of different cool Spider-Man or Spider-People, Spider-Things in this uh, film, so I kind of want to circle uh, back on some of them. So um, Miguel O'Hara, I think it is really cool to have a um, kind of gray character, although he, he does kind of come across as bad by the end of things. Um, it, it, you know, He has this conflict where at least he thinks he's doing something uh, that's good, and it's also cool that he's... Um, Irish and Mexican. Uh, yes. This is an interesting <laughs> little combo. Although this movie features uh, some kind of brave assumptions about the uh, bilingual nature of its audience, because uh, there's no subtitles when they're speaking Spanish. I know. I thought I thought that was that was nice too. It makes me uh, uh, feel even more guilty that I haven't uh, started my Duolingo streak. <laughs> Yeah, get on. You're on my family plan. What are you doing? I know you can see me not do it. It's very embarrassing. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. I'm over here on like 136 days yeah, or something yeah, like whatever. that. Uh, but but uh, yeah. I well, just actually to to put a cap on that. Um, monolingualism is the new illiteracy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so okay. I got it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I can barely read English. It's true. <laughs> but um but no i i i thought it was cool to have uh, some mexican representation on the screen and he's an interesting character i'm excited to see to learn more about him especially his backstory moving forward to see if really what he told us is true or if there's some other motivation there yeah and he was scary you know he had that uh vampire moment right he's got like uh he pulls out the claws and uh miles is like are you even spider-man like <laughs> <laughs> And um, yeah, I, I thought that he was, he had like a, he had a nice screen presence, even though there's like all these constant jokes about, you know, him kind of being too serious. Um, I, I thought he was uh, intimidating. Um, and the fact that he was in charge of all of these wacky, uh, wisecracking guys, uh, and they all listened to him, like lent him a lot of credence, I think. So I, um, I was impressed with him for sure. Then we have Gwen Stacy, who returns. You know, she was in the first one, but she gets way more of the spotlight in this film, especially at the beginning. And I think that's a really good thing. I, I like we said before, the some of the most emotional scenes from this film are between Gwen and her father, and I, I, I think that it's just spectacularly done. It's such a great idea to put more of the weight of this film onto her shoulders. It's a story from Spider-Man that we have not seen in much detail. You know, uh, I mean, it seems sometimes it's like, why is this so hard to imagine? But like, what if Spider-Man was a girl? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it's not that difficult, you know? Um, yeah, I, I was really impressed with uh, like with her story and the way they explore it, right? Showing her kind of angst on screen when she quits the band and, and she's like, you know, drumming. I really liked that, uh, that little mon that little monologue that she had, um, uh, which was very, very good. Um, it's, I saw this on Twitter and I thought it was, uh, and I'm not sure what to make of it exactly. Uh, but I, I was paying close attention when the scene comes up, but, uh, when he, when she finally confronts her dad at the end of the movie, um, the watercolors kind of picture uh, in like the background turns into a pink and light blue color palette, which is the colors of the transgender flag. And people are like, oh, is Gwen Stacy trans like trans? And I don't think there's anything that really indicates that in this movie. And it's one, if it's true, then it's one of those uh, J.K. Rowling um ask like oh uh Dumbledore was gay the whole time kind right. of uh like virtue signaling uh representation things that mean nothing but i do think that that scene does represent a coming out story which i think is what this movie uh is is sort of hinting at, at a deeper level and it's something that i hope 
even if this movie is uh, uh, isn't very effective at um, telling you uh, you need to believe in good things, I hope it acts as some sort of encouragement for queer youth to come out in a safe environment. Because I think this movie uh, highlights that and shows the benefits of it and shows like how impactful it can be and how and also how hard it can be. Uh, when she is, you know, first confronts her dad and says that she's Spider-Woman and then she he kind of rejects her. Heartbreaking moment, right? And then for her to come back and uh, for him to forgive her, right? And for her to forgive him uh, is a, is a very emotionally tumult, like tumultuous scene, and it's highlighted with those trans colors. I feel like it's it's trying to evoke this feeling of coming out, right? Of of of, uh, of revealing yourself uh, in your in your full colors, and it's um uh, it's a really powerful moment. It, it certainly hit me hard. And it's something that I was, you know, kind of watching the colors and also trying to listen to her at the same time. It's something that I, I want to kind of replay over and over to really get the full effect. Cause I, I think the, the words she chooses too are, are very, uh, intentional. Um, yeah, I, I was, I was, it was something that I, uh, was really happy to see. Yeah, I think you're hitting it right, the, the the nail on the head there, because I think looking at those colors and saying, this is like a, you know, a trans reveal moment, uh, like she's literally coming out as trans, is a bit of a bisexual lighting moment, where they're sure. like, oh, this character <laughs> in a scene that does nothing to do with sexuality is bisexual because we have these two colors together, right? Like that's, that's missing the forest for the trees. But I, I agree ex- exactly with what you're saying. I mean, it, it can be applied to being uh you know queer or even just you know whatever it is about who you, being yourself right gwen has to uh come to turn her or i guess gwen and her father have to come to terms with who she really is right and bringing that to the light um and i think that that works as something that can be interpreted in more than one way um it, and it's an amazing use of color i just oh my so gosh striking yes. it really is and when she tells like she tells uh miles early on like trust me, don't like, don't tell your parents kind of thing. It, it feels like that bitten, uh, you know, once bitten, twice shy feeling. Right. And I'm, I'm so happy that that comes to an emotional conclusion at the end where she does find like uh, solace in her father. Um, and, and he reacts so uh, positively to her. Right. I, I, it's something that I feel like needs to be shown more in these mainstream movies uh, because it is such a important part of people's lives, especially during Pride Month. I'll, I'll add that. So moving on to Peter B. Parker and the newly introduced Mayday Parker, uh, his daughter. And I'll just say it's really nice to see Peter and Mary Jane actually happy together for once. Uh, Peter B. Parker is in a much better place in this film than he was when we met him in the first one. And their baby is super cute. She's doing like very adorable little spider like girl things, swinging around and pointing at stuff and and pulling her hat over her eyes so it looks like a mask. I enjoyed every, every scene that they were in. Yes, that was great. Um, yeah, he's like, oh, I, I, I like, I'm not a bad father. I'm not bringing my, I didn't bring my daughter to another fight. Like, of course not. <laughs> Hilarious. Uh, and then, of course, we have Spider-Man India, which I loved that the fun twist that being Spider-Man is actually really easy for him, uh, <laughs> which is really refreshing. Uh, you know, <laughs> Spider-Man is always struggling with being Spider-Man. And for him, it was just, uh, you know, it's something he's great at. He's also got good grades and, and uh, you know, balancing the whole secret identity thing pretty well. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I, he's I like, like that. after uh, after, uh, you know, uh, Miles saves um, the future father-in-law, right? The the um, the girlfriend's the dad. They're like they're shaking hands. And he's like, oh, thank you so much for saving the city. He's like, oh, like everything's going so right for this guy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was cool. That's like, and again, just being able to explore his world and see all the different animations. Oh my gosh, like so cool! So many layers to it and everything. Amazing. And then we had Jess Drew, aka Spider Woman, who was pregnant and doesn't hide her identity. I feel like we didn't get to know her as well through like some sort of exposition of her backstory, but we did get to know her uh, through her actions, you know. And she's uh, so I, 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 the motorcycle is kind of out of left field for me, but um, I did. Hey, it's a cool, it's a cool, cool different thing, you know. Spider, definitely she's using it, she's using it to knock well, into people and all sorts of stuff absolutely and don't let me i mean being a tyrannosaurus rex is also out of left field like being out of left field is is center field for this movie <laughs> and then of course hobie spider punk 
just yes. pro- like possibly the funniest. Uh, definitely a great example of the different animation styles uh, that seamlessly fit into the film. Yes, he has so many. His great introduction. Um, I'm gonna. I, I need that. Uh, that quote where he says, um, "I don't believe in consistency." Um, I I want that uh, somewhere that so I can play it all the time. Uh, anytime <laughs> someone says, "Like what you said this before." I can just say, <laughs> I don't believe in consistency. Um, yeah, I hate the AM. I hate the PM. Uh, I saw uh, one of my favorite writers, Ryan North, saying this is like the, one of the most perfect jokes he's ever heard. Um, <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, yeah, he was great. And um, well, uh, did you catch when he says, um, when Miles is like, I, where, where can I get one of these watches? And Hobie says, build your own. And he he's already built his own. And it's in his own style, right? It's got like the kind of wonky feel to it. Uh, if it was like made in a, in a garage. Um, yeah. And, and when he gives him the hint about the um, uh, the palms, palms, saying like, yeah. if you put the palms up to the electrical field, it will break the field. Um, and uh, But like there's like a double entendre there where he's standing outside of the the field after miles is caught right and he's like puts his palms up almost in a like hey calm down type thing but also a reminder of like how to get out of this really clever um he was yeah he was great i want to see much more of him yeah and these i mean these characters i think really endeared themselves to us as the audience in this film and it's going to be I think interesting to see the way that they balance these characters with the returning characters from the first one that were teased at the end of this, because we're going to have a whole bunch of spider people in the third (laughs) one, presumably. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, let's move on to our cool Easter eggs. What do you got, Joey? Um, I found this article from Variety uh, where they interviewed um, some of the um, uh, some of the uh, directors, some of the makers of this movie. Uh, specifically, it was uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, um, and I thought this was um, very interesting. I also have a quote here from James Gunn, and uh, I'm going to read this here. Um, I don't believe it's super... Okay, and this is uh, from uh, Chris Miller. He says, I don't believe it's super superhero fatigue. I believe it's a movie that feels like a movie I've seen a dozen times before fatigue, Miller said. If you're using the same story structure and the same style and the same tone and the same vibe as movies and shows that have come before, it doesn't matter what genre it is. It's going to be boring to people. Um, And I think this is a really insightful thing. This is why these guys are so successful at making these movies is because they recognize this. And this is something that... um, I think is certainly true. If you look back at all the successful Marvel movies in the cinema, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they all have this different feeling to them. They all have a different tone to them. Um, some of them are very serious. Some of them are very funny. Um, I, I think there is some pieces of it, like the villains that can be, can be somewhat formulaic, but I think that the Marvel formula, quote unquote, is largely a myth. I think that it's, it's this same style, same tone, same vibe uh, thing that uh, is the real fatigue. And I think that's been true before superhero movies and will be true long after them as well. And he goes on to say, uh, if, and Phil Lord goes on to say, uh, the audience in the theater cannot be sustained on Easter eggs and reveals. Or even these big, crazy multiverse stakes. They only care about, like, the relationship between Rocket Raccoon and Groot. Again, exactly right. Like, if you focus on the characters, if you give us fun characters and give them fun backstories and talk about how they interact with each other and how they're similar and how they're different, people are going to latch on to that. People will feel connected to that. That's always been the thing that, that brings people into these stories. It's not just the, like, oh, I'd recognize that thing, you know? I think that, that, uh, that, uh, I don't know, uh, demographic is largely overrepresented um, because I think most people that go to the movies don't necessarily care about whether they've seen this thing before or they care about if it's a fun story with characters that they love. Um, And I think that you can start from scratch and make something like that. Um, And then, yeah, so there's this quote from uh, James Gunn that he did in a Rolling Stone interview that they quote here that I also want to read. And he says, "Um, I think there is such a thing as superhero fatigue, Gunn said. I think it doesn't have anything to do with superheroes. It has to do with the kind of stories that get to be told. And if you lose your eye in the ball, which is character, uh, if you lose your eye in the ball, which is character. Uh, we love Superman. We love Batman. We love Iron Man because they're these incredible characters that we have in our hearts. And if it becomes just a bunch of nonsense on screen, it gets really boring. Uh, when he says nonsense on screen, all I can think of is um, Doctor Strange. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to tag anything else with that. I think James Gunn is exactly right there. I agree, um, 
So something we haven't talked about yet is there is a brief Lego sequence in this story. Uh, Spot pokes his head into a Lego universe, breaks the Daily Planet, uh, or the Daily Bugle, sorry, and um, uh, Peter Lego Peter Parker is there uh, getting reprimanded by Lego um, J. Joe, Jonah Jameson, and uh, he's like he calls up Miguel and says hey we have a multiverse event here and he's like thank you peter you're you're one of our best <laughs> which is so funny uh this lego sequence was uh, directed by a 14 year old canadian animator named preston uh, mutanga um and he this his contribution arrived late in the movie he actually uh, was contacted by the filmmakers after he made a fan recreation of the trailer in lego um, so this kid is literally living my 14 year old dream. Uh, he, I mean, I can't think this is such an amazing story. I mean, can you imagine the guys who made the Lego movie are like, hey, we like your Lego animation. Do you want to do the Lego animation for our new Spider-Man movie? Incredible. Gosh. Yeah. It's so awesome. Again, this is movie is such an experiment in collaboration and different art styles and so many different things, bringing all these great and talented people together. Um, and this is another example of that. And uh, all, all the best to Preston and Canada. Uh, you deserve all the credit for this. This uh, those trailers are incredible that they, that they put together. I mean, could it ever be more clear how open minded they are to just bringing the best together to to put a product together that is, surpasses everything else? You I know. know, it's like know. there's no wrong answers as long as you're you're doing something amazing. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, so couple other easter eggs uh this is uh i think this actually is an interesting kind of jumping off point so phil lord and christopher miller revealed that they told sony the sequel would be the same size as into the spider-verse but it ended up having the largest crew of any animation movie ever with around 1,000 people working on it they added that it has 240 characters and takes place in six universes which I saw, I didn't like get into the details of it, but I saw articles where they're like, all of the Spider-Men in the, or Spider-People <laughs> in the like home base are real Spider-People with backstories and like here wow. they are. And it's like, there's no, none of them are filler characters. Each one has a name and like a kind of origin, which is wild, uh, which must have taken a lot of time to do. But also, I wonder if they thought they were telling the truth when they said that it was going to be the same size as Into the Spider-Verse. And maybe it was one of those things where they were like, oh, well, we can't leave that out. We can't leave that out. And it just like, kind of ballooned to the where we got it, where it's like, okay, this needs to obviously be two movies. And we're just going to have to stop at some point and so that we can jump into the, the third. Or, which is like interesting that we already have a, a part one, right? Which is yes. Into the Spider-Verse. But, and then now we have a part one of the whole part two uh that's out now so it's kind of confusing um and kind of uh, together with that this movie has a runtime of two hours and 20 minutes which is uh 140 minutes total uh which is the longest american animated film to date surpassing the previous record holder consuming spirits which is a 2012 film by four minutes Oh, four minutes. Wow. Really, uh, really pushing the boundary here. Um, <laughs> I had never heard of Consuming Spirits. I looked it up uh, just a second ago and it looks like some sort of, it looks like, it's like some sort of art film. It's, it looks like very, um, uh, like, uh, like a small, a very small crew um, that was telling like a very um, kind of detailed um, slow story. So um, this certainly feels like a very different thing. And it's interesting that this is a, um, you know, this is a studio film. Uh, that's finally breaking that barrier. I wonder if the other one's next one's going to be even longer. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it is surprising to me. I I was I was sure one of the, like the Shreks or you know um, one of the Ice Age movies or something had uh, surpassed this uh, into like the two hour and thirty minute mark. But I guess movies are just getting longer, so we'll see. Yeah, yeah. But that is going to bring us to the end of our cool Easter eggs and the end of our discussion on this film. As we do at the end of every episode of Apple Chat, we'll now deliver our ratings. Joey, what rating do you want to give to Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse? I give this movie uh, leaving my sweater and toothbrush at Hobie's place. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, and I'm going to give this movie... Two Spider-Mans pointing at each other, waiting for a third to come along and complete the meme. <laughs> just waiting, just standing there waiting. That, yeah, waiting. Hopefully not too long, right? The next one's supposed to come out next year. Yeah. So right. uh, I'm, I'm really, I mean, I'm, I can't wait, honestly. It's, I'm already 
just I want to go to the theater right now and see it. So, uh, but we're gonna have to wait. Uh, but until then, there's more affable chat, right, Joey? What's next? Next, we are doing The Flash with Ezra Miller, uh, felon Ezra Miller. <laughs> <laughs> yes, which is also hilarious. Yeah, seeing him in the ads uh, before <laughs> Spider-Man is like, oh, there's this guy. Not I for me, The Flash is not the first thing that comes to my mind when I see his face. Um, <laughs> But yeah, we're we're in the midst of uh, you know summer madness over at the Apple Chat uh, production studio, where Joey and I are constantly traveling and doing other stuff. So we're still getting content out there, putting things together, um, you know, and and trying to stick to that weekly schedule. So the Flash is up next, uh, and that's going to be uh, very epic. Very no epic. Doubt. Yep, that's the word. <laughs> You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Applechat.com is your new favorite website on the internet. There you can find the latest from us and all our social media accounts, including Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, all of which are at AppleChat, and even our email address, AppleChat at gmail.com. If you like this episode, then tell a friend about it um, in another universe. All you have to say is, have you considered listening to Multiverse Affable Chat? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> if, tell, them, tell them if they don't listen to Apple Chat, then they're going to miss a canon event. And it could That's mean right. the, the oh, end of existence <laughs> as we know it. <laughs> uh, that's going to do it for this episode. For Apple Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening.